0: Hi everyone, welcome to Stem Froms podcast, Where Does Your Journey Stem From? hosted by myself, Dr. Karina Minardi. Today, we are joined by a wonderful tech leader and guest, Patrick, who is currently the CTO at Shippo. Let's welcome to the stage, Patrick. Hey, Patrick, how's it going?
1: Hey, Karina, thank you so much for having me today.
0: Of course, happy to have you. Patrick is a technology executive and founder currently serves as the Chief Technology Officer at SHPO, managing both product and engineering organizations. Previously, he served as the VP of product at Truveta, focused on developing AI ML applications to improve the outcomes of patients, receiving treatments at Microsoft in Azure and AI, and research divisions as an engineering and program manager, and working for and leading small businesses, developing applications with larger enterprises. In his spare time, he enjoys skiing, riding motorcycles, and hiking in the Pacific Northwest with his wife and two dogs. So again, welcome Patrick, thank you for being on. And as we usually start off, if you could give us a little bit of an introduction as to who is Patrick and your background.
1: Yes, wonderful, thanks so much Karina. Um, yes, you know, as you mentioned, my name is Patrick Nicoletich. I'm currently the Chief Technology Officer at chipo uh, where I have the unique pleasure of upbridging multiple experiences in my career together, uh, getting the unique opportunity to run both engineering products and also design under product as well. lets me mold together uh, 20 plus years in technology as a whole uh, to better understand how to build both organizations and technology that satisfies customers and, and increases engagements and satisfaction for people working in the company too. Um, prior to that, uh, I really enjoyed a diverse set of opportunities. Um, really my career was the core foundation was settled on top of the fact that I wanted to experience as much as I could. Uh, and so on purpose, I spent time as an engineering uh, individual contributor. Uh, spent time as a management consultant to understand what companies were dealing with and how best to augment them for success, um, really enjoyed the small to medium sized business space as well, where you get to get real up close and personal uh, with business owners that are trying to succeed and grow and, and find success in their own organization as well. Um, really the, the core kind of background that, that was really important to me was to both really learn about technology, learn about industry but also learn about the, the differences between businesses in different industries and how I can best adapt myself and my skill sets uh, into the future so that I can be prepared for whatever comes next as well.
0: So that is the professional, Patrick. Mm-hmm. So I yep. want to also know about the unprofessional, Patrick, for lack of a better sure. word. In a, sure. You know, what drives you as a person? What do you find curiosity yeah. in? Do you even find curiosity in things? Tell us a little yeah. bit about that.
1: Yeah, I, I think being in technology, if, if you're an engineer, you're innately curious. Um, you know, technology moves at such a fast speed across the industry that if you don't remain curious, you'll just fall behind from my perspective. Um, I love hobbies. I love tinkering. Uh, I love exploring different avenues. Really, like how I've led my career does manifest itself in my private life as well. Um, some examples are I love to cook. Uh, that's something that I, I find As the same amount of satisfaction in as I do in my professional life as well. Um, The act of constructing, building, mixing, um, trying to see what works, trying to see what doesn't work, which there's plenty of failures as well, uh, I think is is something that really anchors me in my private life personally. Um, I have a plethora of hobbies. I go through periods where I just want to learn something and I just want to explore it. Um, I quickly understand it to the best of my ability. And then I get curious and I go chase something else as well. Um, behind my room on, on the door, you'll find 3D printers, you'll find stacks of motorcycle parts because I love tearing bikes apart and putting them back together. Uh, I also love skiing because I love being out in nature and experiencing both, um, you know, the internal city life as well as things that make me feel more grounded to, to nature and just the way the old world used to be as a whole. Um, it's one of the factors behind my move to the Northwest personally, which is where I currently live today. I get both really deep technology access up in the Northwest, as well as access to just beautiful parks and nature to, to go explore as well.
0: So that's really interesting because when I think of technology, I think of a computer, I think of a computer board, I think of typing, I think of coding. But then you also then said on the flip side that you love to tinker Um, Mm -hmm. so what is it, how, how do you have this sort of dichotomy?
1: Yeah. I mean, the, the thing that I've realized that's, you know, some people really resonate with this perspective and some don't is when I see computers, I don't really see things that are just ones and zeros and just pure engineering. I I actually see a creative outlet. Um, you know, I started with technology very young. My, my dad was an electrical engineer. And one of the benefits of that is in the very early nineties, late eighties, I had access to computers, which was very abnormal. Most of my friends didn't have that same level of access. My dad was a tinker at heart. And so one of the things that I always had around me were machines. And I started with Commodore 64s. I still remember the day he brought home the first Windows 95 PC, which was the first time I actually touched programming. Um, But most of the first 10 years or so I spent writing software, it was predominantly a creative outlet. I I really didn't look at it as you must advance a business. It's about objectives and goals and these types of things. Um, There's really a strong component of art behind how you build software. And that's really uh, what grounded me at the beginning for the most part and still continues to ground me even today. I I very much enjoy how art intersects with the science behind what we do. Um, and really, at the end of the day, just want to create beautiful experiences that both make me happy, but, but also make customers happy as well. It's, it's that, that kind of nuance that sometimes gets lost as you think about ways to advance agendas within companies in your private life as well. I think there's a really nice creative element that I never really want to squash or, or diminish in my personal life. No, I
0: really love that because um, I never have thought about that at all, about the, the amalgamation of art um with technology um you said something actually before we started the podcast in which Mm -hmm. you didn't actually go to undergrad so um, you know how did you I mean you talked a little bit about your dad Mm -hmm. so talk me through kind of your history and what got you into tech beyond you know the familial part
1: yeah yeah it's I think like a lot of people it's a lot of serendipitous moments mixed with where my curiosities sat and what I was interested in and and also just a a very large component of timing as well. Um, You know, like I I shared with you before this call, I I didn't actually go to school. I started in technology when I was 19 years old, one year out of high school. Uh, Growing up in Southern California in the early 2000s was a very interesting time. A lot of my friends went out of high school. They were going to war at that time, which was a a very interesting time in my life. And just like it was for for many other people at that point in time as well. Um, And I was a bit lost as to to what I was going to do. I had spent time in high school consulting for people. Again, it was so early that knowing people that wrote uh, code and developed websites was a bit abnormal. Uh, To find a career in tech without an undergrad was also very abnormal. Um, when I was 11 years old, I met one of my first mentors uh, through somebody I went to school with. He was five years older. He's very brilliant. Uh, I actually hired him as a contractor at Shippo. The world is still small, and so we, we keep the circles close. Uh, but the, the reality is that uh, those people early on in my life were really influential. They both taught me new skills. They introduced me to other folks as well, expanded my network. Um, when I got out of high school and I was really debating on what to do next, I, I reached this very weird intersection point where there's one side of me that loves the adventure, loves being outdoors, loves the excitement. Uh, I had actually gone uh, to take the test for the Air Force because I wanted to go be a combat controller and jump out of planes with skis and night vision goggles on. Uh, and then I got a, a very random phone call from my friend actually one day and he said, hey, I have this job in tech. I think you should interview for it's. Um, you know, it was right up my alley as a network engineer, which is where I got my original start. And I I really left it to fate. I said, you know, if I go get this job, I'll commit, you know, I'll commit for 10 years. I had a 10 year plan already at that time. Um, and it just so happened that I took the interview, got the job and decided to go pursue the path in tech with, with all of my ambitions and passions behind it as well.
0: There are three things that you mentioned, which I, I so appreciate and I want to go through kind of systematically. Mm-hmm. But um, one thing that I've talked to with previous guests is something or I try to uh, coin a term in which it's called embrace the randomness. Yes. Um, of You were talking about serendipity and serendipitousness. Um, and so what, ha- what does that mean to you and how mm-hmm. has that impacted you beyond what you've already talked a little bit about?
1: Yeah. And I, I think you, the, the one main thing is, in order for things to be serendipitous, you have to put yourself out there. And so from very early on, I decided that being open to building relationships and maintaining relationships was just really important. You, you really never know when there's going to be that moment where a door opens up and you need to walk through it. And chances are, if you don't walk through it at that time, it's going to close and you'll never walk through it again. Um, and so I, I've always accepted that the world is chaos to a certain degree. And the more that you can expose yourself to different things, the, the higher the likelihood that you'll find something that really meets your intrinsic desires and, and maps to how you want to extrinsically create impact for the world as well. Uh, and, and so I think it's just a really important component that's you know, you can't really control life. Um, all you can do is position yourself really well and hope that you find the right thing uh, when the time arrives and that you're able to recognize it, most importantly, because I think that's also a difficult challenge. Um, and there's been multiple points in my career where, you know, I really can't say that I would make it this far without those things aligning in the way that they needed to for me to get the next opportunity and continue to progress my learning development and, and also just challenge myself. You know, there's always big risks that comes with taking opportunities. There's also really great opportunity in general and, and real positive outcomes and things,
0: most notably the people, um, which actually is a, a great segue to my, my second point around your, you called out networking. And I mm-hmm. think that it's not necessarily a skill that's developed within younger and younger in individuals yeah. um, about speaking to someone, being curious about their their pathways, you know. And it's not how to leverage them, but it's more of just learning about them um, and what you could potentially, you know, leverage for yourself um, and um, expose yourself to other people, not only their cultures, but you know what drives them. Um, Yeah.
1: Can you comment on that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. I I think the um, one of the lessons that has ultimately been true for me personally is that when you ask people for help, they're generally happy to give it to you, especially if it relates to the thing that they really love to do. Um, And so finding people that are hyper specialized, finding people that are really great at certain things and asking them, for help or just asking them questions because you're curious, I find doors immediately open up and they're happy to spend the time and engage. Um, There's always this weird hesitation that, that I've always felt personally, and I'm sure other people have felt it as well, that you don't want to bother people or you don't want to interrupt them or they're too busy for you. Uh, I find more times than not, that's not a true statement. And then more that you can get over that initial hump of feeling a bit insecure about trying to take someone's time or ask them for help. Really, you know, that's one of the biggest gains you can get in life in general. Uh, And whether or not it translates into some material gain that's easy to quantify or not isn't really the important component. Uh, I think that there's two pieces that are really valuable. One is the learnings you get in that moment. And then the secondary component is an opportunity to make a really good impression on somebody as well. Um, people, you know, from my perspective especially, um, I find that they leave remembering how you made them feel. They don't necessarily remember the context of the interaction as a whole. And the more people you can engage with the more people you can give a really uh, pleasant experience to, um, the more those things will circle back around and crop up at random moments to facilitate some ongoing engagement with them and, and potentially lead your life in new directions too, which it has again, multiple times in my career as well.
0: I think there's also an aspect of don't necessarily take the ownership on yourself, um, of, of saying you know, they don't have the time for me or they don't, they're too busy. Yeah. Put the ball in their court. They, yeah. they are willful, you know, conscientious human beings that can say no, not now, yeah. maybe later. Totally. Um, and I think there's, there's an honesty there. Um, And you approaching folks is honest, yeah. you know, Absolutely. asking them about themselves. Um, and so I think part of this podcast is also how do you, maneuver through a conversation on how do you ask you know probing questions appropriately um which i i love and is exposing me to a whole bunch of folks too yeah, um exactly. the other piece that you mentioned and my last uh, my third point um is we have a variety of guests on the show who are pursuing phds or they've gotten their masters and they're getting a phd and you don't even have a bachelor's degree and so you know, when you think about that, um, you know, how do you think about that in, in your world as you hire folks? Um, you know, what are you looking for in the skills and traits in, in people um, that you want to join your team who may not necessarily have those, the, the alphabet soup after their name, for lack of a better word?
1: Yeah. No, I, I think the, I always seek a great mixture. You know, we, we talk about diversity as, as a key goal in many organizations in the modern world. And I think it it still is a very important goal. Uh, to me, I take it to the absolute limits of interpretation for the most part. Um, I think having hyper-specialized folks is incredible. The, the level of depth you can go to um, really is where the nerdiness in me just completely comes out, you know, because I'm infinitely curious about the level of depth. Of knowledge that people have on various topics, and I realize me as an individual, I will never have that depth of knowledge. I haven't trained for it. I haven't spent the time. The amount of things you have to give up to gain that is really high and significant. And I've always preferred a generalist background. It's something that I recognized very early in myself. And with that comes certain trade-offs that I I recognized that I was accepting um, when I decided to go down that route. I also really like generalists too. I think people that have seen a lot of things, people that have played many roles, they can balance the perspectives and and they help break the ties that can occur uh, in private and and professional situations where people think they're right, but their view is narrowly focused in one vertical. And it doesn't take into account the broad spectrum of trade-offs that really represent life as a whole. Uh, I don't really see life as a, a... binary set of things. It's a lot of gray, which I think we all, especially today, if you just read the news as an example, everything feels very gray to a certain degree. Um, I think that representing the true state of the world uh, as much as possible is super important because it really challenges you to, to think in a different way. It also gives you access to depth that would not be available if you just were with a bunch of people that only understood things at a very high level as well.
0: I I really like that. And I like it because I think as scientists or any individuals in STEM, um, I could be so bold as to say this, um, is that you're trained to think in black or white. You're trained to think in right or wrong. You're trained to think in zero or ones. But when you actually enter a career and you're actually entering corporate America, whether it be small businesses, whether it be large conglomerates like Microsoft, Mm -hmm. pretty Nothing
1: is zero or ones. Exactly. Yep. A hundred percent. I mean, I, I joke that I spent five years as an engineer, then I went into management because managing people is like managing a volatile computer. You know, you can go to a computer and put one plus one, it'll always tell you two. You can go to a group of people, they'll argue and say it's three or it's four or it's five or tomorrow it's one. Um, the level of volatility instead of when you think about programming systems radically changes when you interface with the the real computer, which is organizations themselves. And and I've always found that really fascinating um, and something that I've spent, you know, the last 15 years or so really focused on personally, uh, how to program people and organizations rather than just computers, which can be a bit more black and white in, in the real world. So let's
0: talk a little bit about that, because I'm curious, you know, you spent some time. Um, in small businesses, you've spent some time in large businesses, one of yep. the largest. Um, now you're at a fairly, you know, decent-sized organization as one of the executive leaders. And so, I'm curious, what are the pros and cons to sort of each of those from your perspective, especially in in STEM fields?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, there is a ton of action in small businesses. Uh, you live and die by the decisions you make, and and the closeness that you get to the impact of the choices that you're making is is not very great. I mean, it's very close in in reality. Um, But when you talk about scale, access to people with depth, when you talk about really understanding large change, there's no better place than than large companies as a whole. Um, The thing that I really loved about my time at Microsoft uh, was the level of creative focus they do give you. At the end of the day, you have a ton of resources. Uh, you have opportunity to work with people that are designing systems for true scale. Um, the number of customers you get to interface with, the amount of learnings you can gather is just exponentially higher in those environments and in, in the right groups and the right teams. won't say it's true for everybody, depending on where you sit. Um small businesses i find is is a smaller version of that you you just don't have all the resources that a large company has and so your impact can be greater personally because the scale is smaller it's decision making is much quicker far less politics than large organizations you feel more in control of your destiny um i really figured out that i'd like the middle ground so i sit in an organization that's about 250 260 people That's not too small to where you know everyone and every decision you make might end up in a catastrophic failure, Um, but it's big enough to where you don't know everyone. And you have to operate with a mentality that the decisions you make have impact on people directly below you, as well as customers beyond your reach. And so you have to kind of balance both the good and the bad of what came with larger companies and smaller companies in one environment, which I find really exciting for me personally.
0: And now being at that organization and being the chief technology officer, mm-hmm. I, I like to think of, I mean, you're in the bio, you really talked about engineering and product, but yeah. you know, pr- you also kind of dabbled in a third of management, mm-hmm. right? And you're you're are yep. a C-suite, you have an entire team to manage, you have very, two very different teams, I assume, managing. I do,
1: yes. so,
0: Talk a little bit about that. You know, What are the proclivities? What are their skills? What are the traits? What are the types of people?
1: Yeah. Um, so at Chippo in particular, I, I do manage three core disciplines. I mean, you can technically pull out a fourth if you include data science as well, which does sit under engineering. Um, for the most part, you know, I really rely on, on directors to have autonomy in their areas. And, and really my core um, goal is to make sure that they're set up for success, to, to drive significant areas of the business, have full control of what's going on and how priorities are set, and really be able to achieve their vision as much as possible. That's my end goal. Um, you know, whether I succeed at that every day. I don't know if every leader does all the time, but I do my best to anchor myself with a a clear outcome, which is that people should be empowered to drive success as much as you as a C-suite executive, and they need the transparency required so they understand what's really happening in the world. They need enough ownership to control things like how they hire, how spend happens within their group, how they set goals that help align with the, the company objectives, et cetera, and then there's really the discipline component. You know, what are the right things to focus on with people and products? What are the right things to focus on with things uh, with people in engineering? I try to map those to the company objectives as much as possible, which is really centered around if they spend two years in the organization with me, what are they leaving with, is the question that I ultimately distill it all down to. Um, I hope they leave with core challenges and and achievements they can put on their resume as a basic foundational goal. I hope they leave feeling that I pushed them to be better than they were when they entered into the organization and that they feel better for it. Um, I hope that I've done a great job really understanding what they want as people and how that maps to what an organization needs and tell a great story that helps motivate them, drive them towards the outcomes that we all want to achieve together. And, you know, also really close the gap between what it means to build engineering systems or build product uh, disciplines within an organization against what it means to run a business. That's one of the areas that I have a lot of fun personally doing, uh, partially because the more that they can be business owners the easier my life is and, and the more we can all succeed together. And so I think there's a lot of really dynamic elements. One of the, the downsides, of course, of, of moving up on my career is I get to build less and I have to find the joy in building through people. Um, you know, sometimes I do want to get my hands on things. I, I miss some of those aspects of my day-to-day, but it's really wonderful having a set of people to work with where you can be really proud of their work and, and look at it and see it as a reflection of, some of your input, some of their brains, and some of just what the environment uh, requires them to accomplish as well.
0: Well, there's a word that I like to think of too that comes with it, but it's it's trust. Mm-hmm. You trust your people to make the best decisions, not only for the organization, but for their teams. And then you also trust them to hire the best people because the there's a layer effect. You have to build trust and you have to build transparency between your teams too.
1: Definitely, definitely. And, and most importantly, I, I do believe in, you know, that classic kind of trope that every 30 days you should be eliminating your own role uh, in these markets it makes it always more challenging. But one of the things that that I'm always focused on as a leader is just really understanding how can I make myself not as important to an organization so that the people really become the most important thing that's a, a delicate balance which is is always being trust, uh, tested even in today's market to extremes as well. Um, but I, I think having a diverse set of folks to tackle all needs in a business, you know understanding customers, how you build for technical excellence, how you think about analyzing information in an organization, how you think about building experiences that people love and, and really want to use on a daily basis, there's, that's where like the art truly comes in from my perspective, because the, you can't have too much of any one of those things. You also can't have too little. <laughs> and so I think when you think about the right set of people and, and an organization itself, finding that steady state for the group and, and also finding ways to isolate smaller teams that feel like they're reaching a steady state, um, you know, is it's tactically one of the things that I probably spend most of my time on as, as a leader.
0: But I think there's also an admirable quality too in leaders who can get their hands dirty. That if yeah. they need to step into an analyst position, that they can readily do that. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. and there are some leaders who just couldn't. Um, yeah. or can't. <laughs> I don't know. Yes. Um and I think that's admirable. Um I think that if you if you were to sit at one of your, you know, um employees shares and if you could do it or if you could take the screen over and show them how to do it i mean that's that's really building that trust too
1: absolutely absolutely oh i i i truly believe in what you're saying um the the other thing that makes that super interesting is how much do people want you to do that is one of those areas that's really fascinating right because there there is a fine line between you being the leader that always shows up that puts in the work that is always there right next to them. And then a leader that's just micromanaging everything to a certain degree. And that's some of the art that I'm even learning myself to this day is, you know, when are those right times to, to lean in and make sure that you're there? I definitely don't personally want to be a leader in my career where people are saying that he just passed the buck to somebody else and you know steps away and his life is easy while we're, you know, doing all the hard stuff on our ends. Um, I I'd love to be in organizations where we're in it together, we're battling uh, competitors, the macroeconomic environments, challenges with customers, I think there's there's a lot of real positive things that come from a sense of doing things together and um, whatever I can do to bridge that gap with the people below me is, is something that I, I love to do personally, and I think it's the right thing.
0: Yeah, and there's, there's also a, um, a, a, a meeting of camaraderie and shoulder to shoulder in battle, that whole thing. Um, So you have reached a pinnacle, I would say. I mean, you are a C-suite member. So, I mean, are you thinking that you have reached the top of your career aspirations or have you? Did, you know, when you, 20 years ago, or is this kind of what you were hoping to achieve in 20 years?
1: Sure. I mean, my my plan consisted of a a arc with a very fast fallback to where I actually started, to be honest. Um, And so, you know, when I started my career, uh, I had a 10-year plan for one reason, which is I thought it was really important to sit in the trenches for at least five years. And so writing software... Um directly for half a decade gave me a lot of hands-on experience inside of Teams. I really wanted to understand the IC experience. I also just really liked writing software as well. But I always knew around year five or so I wanted to go into management because I, I would know I wanted to know what it was like to lead people, which you know, being an introverted person most of my life was gonna truly test that. Uh and and I saw the value in really challenging my natural (laughs) desires, which is to remain fairly introverted and really push towards the spectrum of having to be more extroverted with people and um, lead them in a way where they respect and they're motivated as well. Um, But that 10-year arc really concluded with, uh, in my original plan, running a small business, which I got to in in 2011 and I did until 2014, um, which was its own wonderful experience as well and, and exposed me to you know, both how to fail in miserable ways and and both how to not repeat mistakes that uh, were key learnings at that point in my career as well. Um, But ultimately, after Shippo, if if you ask me what my main desire is, I mean, being in a a startup that's Silicon Valley backed, just like everybody else, we hope for IPOs and acquisitions and all those things. Um, But if you ask me what I hope to be doing, you know, seven years from now, eight years from now, I hope I'm just writing software because I enjoy it and I have creative ideas that I want to explore. And so I've always imagined this kind of virtual arc in my career um, that led me back to where I started, where uh, a lot of the other things are set aside and you can really get back to building in in a pure way with with a lot of the other extra overhead removed from the day to day.
0: So then as you reflect on this arc, I think, would you have changed any aspect of it? Would you have changed? Or maybe not pivoted or not taking an offer that you got
1: yeah i i think like if i was to go back early on in my career the one downside to skipping an undergrad is i had to make up for a lot of time when it came to mathematics that's <laughs> an example and especially in today's world where uh, ai and ml is so prevalent um you know that is something that i've spent years kind of recouping that time that really having great teachers would have given me a great advantage at that point in time. Um, and I also find there's a range of topics that you can read all you want, but to have a teacher, it matters. Uh, and so that's one of the bigger lessons that I learned in my career. If you, if you really want to explore some of the the harder sciences, as an example, um, finding great teachers make all the difference in the world. At least I felt that because I I was missing that initially. Um, In today's world, I make up for it in a variety of ways, but all of that knowledge would have been infinitely helpful 20 years ago when I started. Um, Didn't slow me down in many ways, but at the same time, it did make learning more challenging later on when I needed those facts the most, if that makes sense.
0: Well, it's funny that you say that because I think, um, especially in uh, the hard sciences in particular, my frame of reference, obviously, is chemistry, is the fact that, um, you know, professors... It's one thing to teach it and to understand the material but it's another thing to actually be in lab and run a synthesis and then you actually get something that you synthesize and it's you know five percent purity and you're like why is it five percent purity it should be 95 percent purity oh i know and and things like that i think there's there's something to be said about hands-on experience and i would i would assume um The same thing goes with coding, you know, it's, it's, you can think about it in a theoretical perspective, but when you actually run code and then actually get the, the printout, well, I don't think anyone prints out anymore, but, um, you get what I mean.
1: It's one of those areas where, you know, it it created so many advantages to not have been trained at the same time and just really be focused on self-learning. That it's a really hard thing for me to say, would I have given it all up for that? I don't know, because there was many points in my career where somebody not telling me there's only one way to do it or that there's a right way has been an advantage. There's also times where it slowed me down. And and so I think it's, it's really an area where in the modern times with all of the tools and advances in technology as a whole, I probably would have gone about my business entirely differently up front because I would have leveraged all that's available to today. Um, To give you an example, I I was reading a, a book recently called Machine Learning and Finance, because I'm going down this rabbit hole, building some financial products today. And, you know, you look at these formulas and algorithms that are in there. And, you know, while I'm literate enough to understand the meat of it, you still don't understand all of it. And, you know, I had the amazing chance to really even try chat gpt with its multimodal capabilities take a screenshot explain this to me wow that stuff's incredible um the way it's able to interpret information and break it down it's not perfect but it pieces together so many things where 20 years ago that would have been impossible i would have had to go track down five different people maybe they would have known maybe they wouldn't have known and so the accelerants that are available today are just so radically different um I, I wish they were available, you know, two decades ago, uh, because they would have transformed my ability to learn in, in other ways, and maybe supplemented other things I had to catch up on in a different way.
0: I think supplemental is, is precisely right. Um, I was I was talking to a class of um, maybe middle school, maybe freshmen um, in high school, and um, I said, "Use ChatGPT. Use it as ideation. Use it for brainstorming." And the teacher just looked at me and she could have bored a hole in my forehead with it Uh, but I I was just thinking that I'm I wish I had that when I was a kid to think about different things and to think about it differently and thematic statements and literature I mean it just the um the context and themes and topics are just insurmountable
1: yeah it's incredible and I mean even you know even when it's not fully right, it usually is in the spectrum of right and being able to pick it apart. That's always been the learning process for me as well Is I don't need perfect information, but I need enough so that I can understand what's imperfect about the information. And and the second that my mind clicks those few things, I find that the knowledge that I've acquired, I retain at a much higher level. And so it's kind of like a 90% true tutor to some degrees in the modern era. And in some ways that's a benefit for, for brains like myself that, that work in a way where it's like, Oh, that doesn't seem right. Why doesn't that seem right? This is why it doesn't, it isn't right. It's okay that they were wrong. I'm able to close the gap myself. And that, that really just cements the knowledge in my brain for the most part.
0: Yeah. And it's the directionality. You're on the right direction. Go, go that way. Yeah. We've talked a lot about, um, I think themes and, um, suggestions for for younger folks i mean between embrace the embrace the randomness networking and power of networking um whether to do grad school whether to do undergrad um so i i I want my last question to be you know if you could impart any wisdom to the next generation of technology leaders um you know what would you advise what would that be
1: yeah i mean uh, the number one thing i would say is You know, and we we already touched on it briefly is the the networking aspect and and really seeking opportunities to learn and not be afraid of the risks that you might take in the way is the been the greatest benefit to my career personally. Um, I've always found when I've been slightly uncomfortable or and there's a lot of discomfort that comes with taking a step forward, that the payoff is just infinitely much larger every step of the way. Uh, and so my my number one thing would would always be around being resourceful in terms of learning and, and creating connections so you can get the right opportunities, um, but also really accept risk as early on as you can, um, you know, especially in your 20s, right? Coming out of school, for the most part, there's no damage in your career. You can't undo by the time your 20s have closed <laughs> Is is what I truly believe. And if you don't take risks early on, they only get harder with time. You know, once you get married, once you have kids, once you have mortgages, all of these things start stacking up. It's really hard to say you're going to take big risks. Um, In my 20s in particular, I didn't even want to buy a house because I'm like, hey, if I zero out, I'll rebuild it. No problem. Um, And I I think that understanding that there's only this brief window of time in, in people's lives where you truly can accept large change without significant disruption to not just yourself, but others that are close to you uh, is a very precious window that most people don't take as high advantage of as as they probably should. And so my number one piece of feedback would be, you know, look for the opportunities, but when you see them, be willing to take the risks because the risk is what actually advances your career. It's not just getting the opportunity itself. I love that. I
0: really love that. Um, And with that, um, thank you, Patrick, for being a guest on um, today's podcast episode. And as always, thank you to our um, listeners for tuning in. And always remember to ask yourself, where does your journey stem from? Bye, everyone. Thank you.